The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Jesus says, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. A great story and great picture, and it uh, illustrates and highlights that uh, God sees things very differently than the way we see things. Um, and uh, in this passage preceding this, Jesus has been um, kind of battling it out with the scribes and the Sadducees and the high priests and religious leaders. And these were a group of people that uh, certainly the crowd all admired and looked up to. And included that was, was probably the disciples. It's very likely that they, they looked and they saw these religious leaders as being significant and, and important people in, in their society who they looked up to and honored. And, uh, and there's some sense in which it was right for them to honor the priests and, and the scribes. Um, but Jesus sees things very differently. And uh, at the end of this debate, he warns about the hypocrisy and the falseness in, in the lives of many of the scribes especially. And in contrast to that, Jesus highlights this widow, this very, very poor woman who's in the temple. Now, to get the, really, the setting, to understand what's going on here, you have to remember that this is the week of, of Passover, right? It's the Passion Week. And the days are counting down to Jesus' own uh, arrest and betrayal and crucifixion. And it was a season when uh, people would come from all over the Roman Empire. Jews would return to Jerusalem from all over the Roman Empire to worship and to celebrate Passover, and estimates uh, are anywhere from several hundred thousand to a million visitors who would uh, pour into Jerusalem. And of course, the focus of all their visit, the focus of all their attention was the temple. And uh, in, in Jesus' day, uh, the temple was huge. It was, uh, I think, 300 meters by 400 meters. Okay, think several soccer fields. I mean, it's a huge place, right? But it would have been jam-packed with people. Uh, and, and in the temple, in, in, in one of the courts, outer courts, um, were these large offering boxes. And uh, we, do, we don't do offering this way. I think it would be great. I think we should, right? Uh, these offering boxes were huge, probably brass or bronze boxes with a huge uh, cone-shaped uh, funnel that would protrude out of the top of the box. And it was also probably metal, uh, bronze or brass or something like that. And the way you gave your offering is you would come with your, your coins, because then they didn't have paper money, it was all coins, and you would throw your offering into this cone, and it would rattle and make noise all the way down, right? 
And so, so Jesus is watching this. And there was actually 13 of these receptacles in the, in the temple, uh, in, in this one courtyard. And, and so the crowds are coming up, and, and it's a big deal for them. And they've been saving their offering for a year, maybe several years. And to come present their offering at the temple was, was a big deal. And a, a lot of wealthy people were there who had the capacity to travel. So you can just imagine these people who have been collecting, and they've got bags of money, right? And, and the effect it would have was they throw these bags of coins into this big cone, and it would just make this, this, this huge noise as these coins would rattle down this, this tube into the box. And um, so it would be kind of like, I don't know if you've ever been to Las Vegas. Some of you like played the slot machines before you got saved. You know that chinkling sound, right? Uh, ching, ching, you know, the lights going on. It was kind of like that, right? It was, it was a real show, and, and you, you kind of knew what people gave. I think we should do that in church. You know, forget these cloth bags. We're getting paper money. You know, we're going we're gonna to see, like, when somebody puts in, like, you know, 100,000 bot in Thai coins, ching, right? So here he turns around and looks. So who did that, right? Uh, so that's kind of the effect of what's going on here. Um, and, uh, and it impressed people. Right? When, when you came, you knew what people were giving. When people gave a large gift, people were like, whoa, wow, did you hear that one? That one rattled for like 30 seconds as it's falling down in there. Wow, that's a lot of money, right? And, and the disciples were probably you know, applauding, cheering on. Wow, that's so cool, right? And then in the midst of all that walks up this woman who is destitute poor, uh, Jesus used words to describe her as being not just poor, but destitute, right? Um, and she puts in two of the smallest coins of the day, a lepta. Okay, it was, one lepta was the equivalent of one one-hundredth of a denarii, a denarii being a day's wage. So you could kind of calculate one one-hundredth of a day's wage. Uh, in, in our context here in Thailand, it, it, would, it would have the value of a... 25 satang piece. You know that worthless money they give you as change at Big C that you, you, don't, you can't spend? They just give it to you and it's, what do you do with it? Well, it was two of those. It was two of those. What are they worth? Right? They are almost worth nothing. And you just imagine this poor woman who nobody would pay attention to. Nobody, nobody would see her. In Jewish culture, because of her poverty, because she's a widow, she would basically be invisible to everybody else, in this massive crush of people. And while all these people are dumping in these large pots of money, making huge noises, her coins were so small that they would hardly make a sound as she threw them in the collection box. Right? And yet Jesus notices her. Right? Jesus is drawn to this widow, widow and he points her out, and he says, surely her gift is worth more than all of them. Right? God treasures her gift far more than what any of the other people put in. Um, and as we hear those words and think about this picture, um, it, should, it should make us consider that we don't see things like God does. Right? We don't value things the way God does. Um, and I, I believe that, and I would hope that all of us are here this morning because we, uh, we want our life to count for God, right? You, you want the things you do and the things you're about to matter to God. 
Uh, so if that's true, we need to know what grabs God's attention. Right? Clearly, at all this whole crowd, people throwing all this money, the one that got Jesus' attention, the one he focuses in on, the one that grabbed his interest, was this poor widow who throws in two tiny, almost worthless coins. We need to ask ourselves, uh, what is it about this widow that so attracted Jesus? And does our life, is our life characterized by these qualities? Are these things that would be true of us? Right? Or are we like the crowd on that day in the temple who uh, go by with Jesus not really paying much attention to? Right? Which life do you want to be? Right? I want the life that Jesus is interested in. That counts with him. So how do we do that? Um, there's actually a lot in this passage and more than I can preach on one Sunday morning, so I'm not going to say everything I wish I could about this, but let me uh, say two main points. Uh, the first main point is going to be uh, beware how we measure success. Okay, beware how you measure success. Um, how is it we are evaluating and measuring our life? And it's important that we do this. Uh, we, we should be judging and evaluating our life, uh, our life. Okay, we shouldn't necessarily be judging and evaluating everybody else's life, but we are to evaluate our own life, the ministry we're involved in, the things we're engaged in, how we serve, what we're, we're we are doing, uh, and we we should be considering its meaning, purpose, and value before God. So how do we do that? Um, well, too often. Uh, as this, this account illustrates, too often I think we're using the wrong measure, right? We do evaluate our life. We look at our life. We consider what we're doing. But we're, we're evaluating it with the wrong standard. Uh, maybe you've encountered this uh, cooking. If you're in one, especially where we live here, where it's kind of cross-cultural, you get a cookbook that's from a different country and a different way of measuring things. You ever get this... Um, of course, for me, you know, the big obstacle is metric. I still don't get metric. Um, if you're used to metric, you probably don't get the, whatever the other system's called. I don't even know what it's called. You know, the normal system, uh, <laughs> the one everybody should use, right? But even worse, okay, and I get that. That's a problem. But even worse is cookbooks that, that want you to measure thing, everything out by weight, right? right? Instead, of, instead of three tablespoons, they want you to measure out three grams. What, what, is, what is that about, right? Because, like, in, in our kitchen, everything is designed, everything is built around this idea that we measure things by volume, not by weight, right? We have cups and tablespoons, not scales, right? So what is this, you know, you know half a pound of something, right? I want cups and tablespoons, right? That's very frustrating. And, of course, if you're in the system where everything's weighed, uh, you're going to be frustrated by trying to make something that requires you to measure it a different way. Well, the same way, I think a lot of our problem is that we are using a very different scale. We're trying to measure by a different standard. Um, and essentially, we tend to judge based on outward appearances. Now, of course, we know this is wrong and we know there's problems to this, but, but it's amazing how easily we do this, right? Well, let me just read again and think about in, in terms of the scribes and, and what people were valuing on this day as the scribes were there with their flowing robes and their prestige and people were giving their offerings, says Jesus says, Beware of the scribes 
who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and in the places of honor at the feasts, right? uh, who, who make a pretense uh, of long prayers, right? for a pretense make long prayers. Uh, why did people admire the scribes? Well, it was all based on very external things. Right? These guys looked impressive. They were super smart. They were well-educated. They had positions of status and honor. And the people uh, admired that. Uh, if you remember back at the very beginning of chapter 20, uh, Jesus starts off this encounter with the, uh, the, the Jewish leaders. When they question him about his authority, he says, by what authority do you do these things? And Jesus says, well, I have a question for you. By what authority was John's baptism? And you remember their answer? Well, their answer was no answer, right? We claim the fifth. We don't, uh, we're not going to tell you. And why, why were they afraid to speak their mind? Well, why, why? Well, because they cared too much about public opinion. They feared what people thought. And he said, Jesus saw through everything that the scribes did, and he says what their life is about is purely a public show. Right? They're all about the outward appearances. Um, and that's the, the depth and extent of their life and ministry. Uh, well, why is that a problem? Well, um, for one, because it's, it's not the measure that God uses. Uh, the, the scribes and, and the Sadducees were, were good examples that you can look very good on the outside and be very wrong and off on the inside. But think about how often we do this, right? How many of us uh, judge, for example, a church or a church service on its size and its activity? If a church or a ministry by all outward appearances attracts lots of people, has lots of programs, seems to be doing a lot of stuff, we say, well, it must be successful. But is that necessarily true? Um, same goes for our own life. How, how often do we evaluate our life this way? Well, we're busy. Our life is full of activity, and most of the activity we esteem as being beneficial or meaningful. Um, we seem to be in demand, right? We have this sense that, you know, if, if we weren't hurt here, the world just would not work without us, right? If we were to go home, everything would fall apart. Anybody have that? Raise your hand. No, just kidding. Don't raise your hand, right? They ever have that sense that, boy, you know, I'm just the center, you know, the center of everything here. Not Jesus. We're saying Jesus is the center. Well, yeah, maybe. But really, it's me, right? Really, I'm the one that keeps everything together. If I'm not here, it's all going to fall apart, right? And so that sense of, of being needed, of being busy, of being active, gives us the idea that, well, I must be successful. I must be successful. Um, now, now, some of us see through the fallacy of this, and we realize that being busy, having lots of programs or lots of people, is not the same as success, because success, by definition, means we are accomplishing something. Right? So another way we might measure is, well, it's not just outward appearances, but really it's the impact you make. Right? Are, we, are, we, are we making some impact? Are we changing the world? Are we making a difference? And so there's the temptation to measure impact. 
Now this uh, sounds good, and there, there certainly is some truth in this. Um, it's not about how busy you are, but it's ultimately what you're accomplishing. Right? If you're super busy, but you're not actually producing anything, you're just very inefficient. Right? Um, so, so this is true at some level. Um, and certainly, God calls us as his children to be bearing fruit. And bearing fruit is not just being busy, it's, it's accomplishing something. It means something is produced out of your life. Uh, but the problem with this is that, number one, is this. In Scripture, nowhere in Scripture does it indicate or imply that bearing fruit is your responsibility. Read John 15 really closely. Right? Fruit is always something God does in you and through you, not something you, you yourself actually do. Right? So the problem is we don't actually control the fruit we bear. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a work that God does. Uh, but there's other problems with this as well. Uh, in, 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 verse 20, in chapter 21, verse 1, it says, Jesus looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. Right? So the rich are coming. As I said, they're dumping in large amounts of money, and it's obvious to everybody how much. I mean, they don't know the exact amount, but they know the quantity, right? That was a lot of coins. That was a few coins. That was a massive amount of coins, right? And, and they know what's going on. Um, and there's the sense that those gifts that are, are bigger uh, will have greater impact. And it's, it's true to some extent, right? If you give, if you give $10,000 to a ministry, that ministry is going to be able to feed more poor uh, house more orphans, take care of more widows, build more ministry structure, publish more materials, right? It can have greater impact. Uh, certainly that's, that's true. But that's not how Jesus measures, right? Think about this. This woman gave two coins that were so small and so worthless, it took more effort to count them than what they were worth, right? Those of you who, who've had the fun job of counting offering, don't you just love it when somebody puts in like a handful of pennies or, you know, bot or even worse, satang, right? And you're counting out, right, all these coins. And you're going, yeah, it's taking me more effort. You just want to throw it away. That's right. So we don't, so I don't keep satang, right? I just get rid of them. This is this woman's gift. How much impact is her two little coins going to make? Zero. Right? She's not feeding anybody with these two coins. You couldn't buy a piece of bread with it. Right? She, she's, not, she's not making an impact in the world. And yet Jesus is impressed by her gift. Right? And here's the problem with measuring things by impact. Um, most real impact is going to be unseen and undetected in this life. True spiritual impact cannot be measured normally by outward signs and appearances. For one, it takes too long for it to be fulfilled, right? So you may see great results right off the bat, but the real test of our impact is not what it does today or tomorrow, but what it does 20 years from now, 50 years from now, 100 years from now. Right? And the reality is that much of our ministry will never, in its fruit, will never be seen by us until we die and go to heaven. Right? Uh, we're just not going to see it. Uh, how many missionary stories have you heard of people who went and served and faithfully ministered in a village somewhere and proclaimed the gospel? 
uh, served God, and after years and decades, left with, with virtually no fruit, right? No visible evidence of, of anything great. Maybe a couple converts, and they retired and went home feeling, you know, they threw their life away. But upon uh, a generation later, their children returning to that village and finding a thriving, flourishing, growing church there, right? That their parents never dreamed of. That happens all the time. And it happens with our ministry. We we cannot know today the true impact. And and really, we cannot know until we get to eternity, right? The difference our life has made. So it's a very poor it's a very poor way to judge your labor. Right? If you're counting on you know these visible signs of how you've made a difference in the world and that's your measure, you know, it can be very depressing. It can just be very depressing. Right? Um, and that's not how Jesus measured, at least in this case, right? This is not how he values their gifts. He, he sees it something else. Third thing, um, be careful that, um, you know, that we don't get too much gain in it, right? The problem with what is visible and tangible, what seems to make impact and what looks good in appearances, is that far too often those things have great benefit for us personally. But that was the problem with the scribes and Pharisees, right? Why did they pray long prayers? Well, because it made them look good. Right? It made them look spiritual. Um, here's the danger. Is what you do in service and worship and gift to God dependent on being noticed? Right? Is it all about what people see and, and thereby you get uh, satisfaction out of it? Uh, the reality is that this is super easy to do in, in ministry, right? It is very easy to serve and to give because it makes us feel good, because it makes us look good, because it gives us spiritual credibility and significance, right? Uh, several years ago, this was actually quite a long time ago, I visited a children's home in this region uh, run uh, not by people who actually lived here locally, but it was it was a church in, in another country who sent money and had a couple of people would come visit the project every now and then. And uh, they asked me to come visit. We went out there and visited them and talked with them. And uh, I was very interested where their kids came from and kind of their process. And as I dis- talked with them, I discovered that basically all their kids were true orphans and could be adopted. They were adoptable. But I saw that kids 12, 13, 15, 16 years old, and I said, so why, why are these kids so old? Why are they not being adopted? And the guy said with a straight face and as serious as he could be, he said, well, if we adopted them all out, we wouldn't have an orphanage. Right? In other words, we exist because we need an orphanage. And to have an orphanage, we need orphans. Right? We don't want these kids in families. Because right? that, would, that would make our existence meaningless. Right? Well, this, this is a church who's, who's giving money and pouring resources into ministry so they can feel good about caring for orphans. But what these orphan needs are families, not institutions. Right? 
that didn't matter to them. It kind of went all by them. Because their motive was their personal gain in feeling good about ministry. Okay? Um, so, so be honest with ourselves. If we're very honest, uh, how do you feel about your service and your labor and your work when nobody notices? Right? Right? When you labor and you do something and you pour your heart and life into it and it all goes by and nobody even sees it. How do you feel about that? Um, or worse yet, how does it feel when people notice and then they just don't care? <laughs> right? They don't value what you're doing and they, they think you're just wasting your time and your energy and your effort. Right? Well, oftentimes the result is depression and discouragement. We feel like we're a failure. We feel like our life is not counting we feel like we're wasting our, our, our efforts, right? Because we're not being noticed. It's not being seen. Nobody seems to care. Maybe it's not making the impact we dreamed it would. And so we, uh, we feel very disillusioned and discouraged about ministry. But that's because we're, we're not evaluating our life as, and seeing it like God does. Let's look at how Jesus saw this woman and how it gives us a different standard for measuring ministry success and really whole life success. Um, and and the, the principle is this. Make your whole life a gift of worship. How do we get, the, get there? Well, uh, as, as these rich people are putting their offering into the box, it says, Jesus saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins, and he said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Um, why did her gift weigh more? Right? Not why did it have more volume, but as God weighed it on his scale, he said, here's all these gifts, all this rich all this wealth that's being deposited, and he puts it on a scale versus with these two little coins, and the two coins weighs more, right? On God's scale, it has greater weight and meaning and significance. Well, why? Well, I believe it's simply because God values, he weighs things based on its value as worship, right? Its value is pure value as worship. And on the scales of worship, her gift was the greatest because it was the most genuine expression of pure worship. Okay. So what does that look like? What does that mean? Um, well, if you want your life to count with God, if you want the things you do to matter, if you want it to have weight and significance in eternity, everything we need to do, everything we do, needs to be a gift of worship to God, right? For your life to count, everything about it must be a true offering of worship to God. So how do we do that? Well, first off, we need to seek God's glory over personal gain, right? We need to see, seek, live for honoring God over what we get out of things. Um, so Jesus says that this widow gave everything she had out of her destitute poverty, she was not just a little poor. She was, she was desperately poor. 
Um, and and the, the beautiful thing about her is that she was invisible, right? There's nothing about her life that would grab anybody's attention. Um, no one noticed her and nobody admired her and certainly nobody would admire her gift. Her gift was so small and so insignificant that it wouldn't even be noticed. Um, certainly no one could accuse her of giving because it gave her some prestige or recognition, right? So why did she give, right? Why did she give? In fact, it'd be really easy for her to think, you know, these two coins are so worthless. It's really not even worth giving. But she gives anyway. Why does she give? Well, clearly she gives because she seeks to honor God, right? Uh, it is all she has to live on, right? The, the, really, if she was out to, for personal gain, she would just keep the money, because uh, it was probably her only meal for that day. The, the little scrap of bread that it would purchase was really her only hope of gaining anything. And she forfeits what little gain it would have to honor and worship God. True worship seeks God's honor and glory above all. Right? At its heart, that's what worship is. It's honoring God with what we do and who we are. Um, what is your motive in serving, giving, and living? Right? Is it really God's glory and honor uh, with no claim to get something out of it? Um, and, and here's the test. Um, you know, let's take church, right? Why did you come to church this morning? What was your motive in coming to church? Right? Why are you here? Um, and I want to be careful, and, I, and I'm not judging anybody, but just as we examine our heart, right? Why are you here? Uh, if the worship music is bad, like the guitar is out of tune, which it wasn't, but let's just say, right? Uh, you didn't know any of the songs. The preacher gets up and he rambles on about something. You have no idea what he's talking about, right? He's just blah, 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 blah. I don't know what he's talking about, right? And, and you get nothing out of it, right? It, it, it doesn't charge you up. It doesn't inspire you. It doesn't give you anything you don't already know, right? Do you go away feeling, well, that was a waste, right? I didn't get one thing out of that. I'm going to find a different church, right? Is that why you came, right? Is that why you came? Or did you come because you wanted to honor God just by being here, because here's, here's the truth. I, I don't know that we would ever do this, but maybe we should. What would happen if we showed up on Sunday morning and we just all sat here for an hour? Just sat here. Didn't say a word, didn't sing, didn't do anything. We just sat here. We said, God, we're here together. We came together as a group because as a group we want to honor you just by being here. Right? Uh, in, in the Old Testament, there were three main kinds of sacrifices. There was a fellowship offering, there was a guilt offering, and there was a burnt offering, right? Fellowship offering was barbecue dinner. Okay, it was a pig roast. Well, they didn't do pig. Okay, be clear on that one. Um, but, 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 you know, you, you, you got to come and you got to eat it together. You gave one portion to the, free, the priest, and then you and the, your family would eat it together. And it was communion, fellowship dinner with God. The sharing and fellowship with God. You got something out of it, right? 
Then there's the guilt offering. The guilt offering, you offered it, and um, it, it was to atone for your sin. So again, the priest gets a portion, and you don't get any of the meat, but uh, its blood is applied to the altar on your behalf, and you are cleansed. You're made right with God. So you gain something from it. Uh, but then there was the burnt offering. And the burnt offering was the gift that you put on the altar, and the whole thing, the whole thing got burned. Right? It benefited no one but God. And God said, it would be a pleasing aroma to me. The whole thing would burn up and it would benefit no one at all but God. And if you ever smelled an animal burning, believe me, it would not benefit you. Right? This was not a happy smell. Right? It, was a, it was a horrible smell. But it was pleasing to God. Why? Because it was just for him. Right? Uh, our truest worship... Should be that. Now, now, does it mean that we do things that we don't get benefits? Man, we do all the time, right? I hope that when I preach, you get something out of it, really. I hope. I hope the worship is inspiring, right? I hope when you come to church, you are challenged and you grow. But really, what is your motive? Right? Would you do it if you got nothing out of it? As a burnt offering, as a sacrifice, as worship to God? What about serving in ministry? How much of your service is honestly motivated by what you hope you can get out of it? Um, What are you doing? Maybe you're a student going to school, taking tests, writing papers, reading books. Maybe you're a mom who's washing clothes and you're the professional taxi driver running your kids everywhere. You're cooking meals and managing your family. Maybe you're involved in ministry, whether it's dealing with administrative tasks or teaching or sharing the gospel. Uh, what if nothing comes of it? What if nobody notices and you get nothing out of it? Can you make it worship to God? Right? Well, here's the cool thing. This woman puts in two worthless coins and it has weight with God on the scales because it is worship, right? The cool thing with this is that there is, there is nothing in your life that is so meaningless and worthless that it can't be of great value to God, right? If it's worship. If it's done to give Him honor and glory and praise, regardless of what we get out of it. Um, yeah, so seek God's glory first. Secondly, uh, it's not worth much if it doesn't cost much. Okay, here's a scary one. Um, Her gift was greater worship because it cost her more personally. It says they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty. It cost her much more to give those two worthless coins than everybody else because they gave out of their leftover. She gave out of her poverty. Uh, And and here's the reality. When God weighs our worship on on his his scales, on his judgment scales, um, it gains weight simply by what it costs us personally to give it. It's just that simple. Um, The more it costs us, the more value and worth it has in God's eyes as worship. Um, And God notices when we live sacrificially. Um, how much of our giving is out of our abundance? And I don't mean just financially, but that's a good place to start, right? How much of our financial giving 
is really giving out of our abundance that doesn't cost us anything. Right? Like, you know, we'll give, we'll be generous as long as it doesn't interfere with Starbucks, my Starbucks habit, right? Or, you know, my trip to the beach or my, my lifestyle as I, as I live it now, right? I'll give and be generous as long as it doesn't interfere with those things. But, but heaven forbid that we should give in a way that impinges on my lifestyle, my comfort. Uh, but it's not just about money. It's about our time. It's about our life. Um, and, and I know uh, for most of us, you know, you make sacrifices to live here, right? Those who are not from here, right? Uh, it costs us something to live here. Um, I don't know about you, but I, I don't love the weather here. In fact, I despise it and detest it daily, daily, right? Um, I sweat like a dog, right? And all I have to do is blink my eyelids five times and I'm pouring sweat, right? Dripping, and I smell bad, and I look nasty, and, uh, right? And I'm from Colorado. <laughs> it's not like that where I live. Maybe you came from southern Texas, you know? Not as much of a sacrifice. Uh, I'm just saying, right? Uh, some of you left family you dearly love, children, grandchildren, parents, brothers and sisters, dear friends, great churches, right, where you were thriving, right? Life's hard here. Life's hard, right? Um, and here's the thing. Uh, instead of grumbling about the cost, we, we should rejoice that we are counted worthy to suffer something. And granted, this is like, like kind of wimpy pansy suffering, you know, like we're not getting killed or beaten, but we're suffering something that, that, we're, that we're kind of worthy to suffer for the sake of Christ. It should be part of our worship. Instead of grumbling and complaining, we should say, God, thank you that it's hard for me to be here. Thank you that it's hard for me to do this. Thank you that uh, I'm, I'm given the privilege of giving to the point that it, it does change my lifestyle. Right? That my ministry sometimes is hard. Lord, thank you that I have to work with so-and-so who drives me crazy. You know, who I believe you put in my life just to torture me. Thank you for that. right? Because I get to suffer and endure this person for your glory. Right? That's at the heart of worship. It should cost us something. And when it costs us something, we should be joyful. Right? that we get to pay the price because it gives way to our worship. Third thing, um, we should always have a sense of the inadequacy of our offering. Our offering should always feel like it's not enough. Now, you can imagine this poor widow. And ironically, somebody who would make the sacrifice that she made, I mean, this is her lunch for the day, meager as it would be. It is her lunch. And she's, she's giving sacrificially. Here's a person who loves God and who longs to honor God with her whole life, right? Um, I can just imagine she threw those two coins in and was kind of depressed with like, you know, God, you're worthy of so much more. You're deserving of so much more. I wish I could give you more. Right? She gave all she had, right? Here's a person who, who feels like God is worth everything. And I'm sure she felt like it wasn't enough. I think this is a good sign of true worship. 
Um, because it, it means our worship is, it begins with what God is worthy of. Right? What is God worthy of? He is worthy of everything. Right? And whatever we bring him, if, if that's our, our sense of it all, as we bring it before God's presence, we should have a sense that, God, this is not enough. This is not really worthy of what you deserve. Right? And, of course, there's some kind of false humility that, uh, you know, that we can downplay what we have. But it's not about that, right? It's, it's the sense that God deserves infinitely more than we can give. And even when we've given him our best and our all, it's just inadequate. Right? Uh, do you ever feel like all you have to offer him are two small coins? I feel that way a lot. Most of my sermons, I feel like two small coins, two very small coins, not that great, uh, not what I wish they could be. Um, it feels inadequate, right? But God wants us to give what we have, right? Um, Some of you are worship perfectionists, right? right? And, and your heart's in the right place, but you get this idea that, you know, when I get a really big gift, when I get my life really together, when I have things, you know, the perfect sermon, the perfect lesson, the perfect this, then I will do it and I'll honor God with, with really the best I have. But you never actually do it because it's never good enough. Right? Here's the cool thing. Give God what you have. He knows it's worthless, right? He knows it's pathetic. It's not about the gift, it's about your heart, right? It's about doing it for his glory. Honor him with what you have, regardless of how inadequate it may feel. Um, Lastly, give God everything. Uh, it says that she contributed out of her poverty. Um, out of her poverty, she, she put in all she had to live on. The word for live on is the word for bios. We get the word biology. It was her, it was her daily living. Right? She gave everything. She gave her lunch. And there was no breakfast and dinner. Um, how do we do this? Is God asking you to give him your, all of your money? Uh, well, he might ask that, but probably not, right? How do we give away everything? Well, here's the deal. If we did empty our bank account, give it, you know, um, it wouldn't be long and, and your rent would be due and your landlord would be angry at you and he would kick you out of your house. Your car would run out of gas and you'd have to walk everywhere. And pretty much your ministry would be over here, right? You need money to survive, right? God's not asking you to give all of your money. He wants more than that, right? Ultimately, God wants your life. Because right? the honest truth is, if you gave him all of your wealth, all of your money, your house, your car, everything you own, it's not enough, right? And it's not really what he wants. What he really wants is your life, right? Is you using your life and your resources and your wealth and everything you are and have for his glory, right? It means taking all of your possessions, all that you own, all that you have, and laying it before him and saying, God, it is yours to use for your own glory. It is living out Romans 12.1. Uh, Therefore, brothers, 
And sisters, I beseech you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service of worship, your spiritual worship, serving him, using your life for his glory. Um, that's how we should measure our life, right? How much of our life is truly focused on God-honoring worship? And here's the cool thing in all this. When we do this, when we, when we live sacrificially, when we give our life wholly to him, when we make both the big and the little things in our life uh, offerings to God as worship, inadequate and small and meager as it is, the cool thing is God notices. He notices. Our life counts to him. And where everybody else may look at you and go, man, you're such a loser. You know, you've been over in Thailand, you've been doing this. Where's the fruit? Where's the result? I thought you were going to have 150 churches planted by now. And, you know, you don't have one convert. What's wrong with you, right? And the world may judge you and other Christians may judge you. You may condemn yourself you may feel inadequate but if if your life is one of total worship to God God notices and it has weight with him right it matters to him because he loves our worship he loves our worship and you may get to heaven you may find that your whole life was a burnt offering I hope not right a burnt offering, which means everything you did got burned, right? But it was pleasing to God because everything you did, you, you, you did for him, right? That's worship, right? That's worship. Um, let's judge our life, right? Let's make our life count for him. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.